Okay. Welcome to the Aligned Living Podcast. My name is Sophie and I am your host. I'm so grateful that you are here. If you are new to the podcast, the Aligned Living Podcast is a place where we explore what it means to live an aligned life. We explore concepts such as yoga, spirituality, self-care, and today we'll be diving into the topic of osteopathy. So I am super excited to have my very first guest on the podcast, Ben Sluzar, to talk all about osteopathy. We'll explore what it is, why you should do it, and how it can contribute to living a more well-rounded and aligned life. So Ben is a longtime friend, one of the smartest people that I know. He studied kinesiology at Dalhousie University. He is a registered massage therapist, manual osteopathic practitioner, avid Wim Hofer, dog dad, and all-around good human being. So a big welcome to Ben. Welcome, Ben. Thanks so much, Sophie. That's a very nice intro. My Uh, pleasure. Really happy to be here and always wanted to be on a podcast. So this is great. My first ever podcast as well. Amazing. Ben's first podcast, my first time interviewing someone for a podcast. So just a bunch of podcast noobs over here. So let's just dive right into it. And the question that I'll ask to kick us off, of course. Sorry, Sophie, I just want to interrupt. Uh, I was Mm -hmm. sick last week. And so you may hear me. I'm a little bit nasally right now. um, And I'm going to mute myself if I need to cough. So I just want the the listeners to sort of be aware of that. And we're going to be doing the best we can here. So let's jump into it. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. So to kick us off then, why don't you tell us a bit about what osteopathy is? Because in my experience, I think people either don't even know what osteopathy is, or there's a lot of confusion around what osteopathy is. Yes, totally. This is one of the you know biggest questions I get, obviously, as a osteopathic manual practitioner, or sometimes otherwise referred to as an osteopath. Um, so yeah, osteopathy is a manual therapy, meaning it's a hands-on approach where a practitioner will sort of assess and look at your body and sort of palpate your body, meaning touch, um, and sort of try to identify the restrictions in your body that are holding it back. Uh, so what I mean by that and how that differs from you know other manual therapies is that it looks at the body as a whole. Um, so it really doesn't sort of look at um, you know one system and sort of one symptom. It looks at various symptoms that are happening and tries to connect them all through looking at anatomical interrelationships. So it's a really great uh, perspective on the body because it sort of uh, encapsulates all that happens to the body over the course of time, which is really one of the standout things that I love about it. It's helpful to uh, sort of think about the osteopathic perspective of the body in the stages of health. So the stages of health from the osteopathic perspective are that we are born um, in a stage of adaption. uh, And then as things change and as things happen to our body, we, you know, we healthily adapt to those things. And we have a pretty good ability to do that uh, up until a certain point. When we reach, you know, that certain point, our body begins to start to compensate, uh, excuse me. Um, And so compensation is when tissues and uh, structures in the body start to do things that they're not necessarily designed to, or sort of they're taking on more responsibility than they're, you know, normally designed to. 
but the body is still able to perform all functions properly. And maybe you have some asymmetries building, but you're still sort of generally healthy and, uh, you know, living a great life. So I would say, you know, a lot of people live in that compensation stage. Um, but then you reach a th another threshold where, you know, you get pregnant or you climb a mountain or you have another fall or you, you know, have some other injury or other change to the body where, you know, the body is asked to adapt a little bit more or compensate a little bit more. And it basically says, well, we've, we've already adapted, we've already compensated. So we're, we're at a point where we need to now decompensate. And so this decompensation is when symptoms start to occur or, you know, basically like pathology starts to appear in the body. Uh, and so this is when people start to seek out treatment, right? And so this is actually a good time to highlight really the difference between osteopathy and sort of the like allopathic or Western medical approach. Um, and it's really not a versus um, thing, even though they are two distinct, you know, perspectives. Allopathic, uh, allopathic Western medicine really... Um, is great when it comes to the end stages of decompensation. So when the body has reached a certain point and it, and it's, it, it can no longer do what it's designed to do, uh, that's when sort of surgical intervention is needed or pharmaceutical intervention or, you know, the medical sort of approach is really, you know, that's where it, it shines. Um, before that, the medical approach doesn't really have many answers for the things that are, you know, smaller um and of less consequence because they're really mm -hmm. looking for the life-saving things um and so yeah there's more to sort of say on this but this brings up the sort of concept of the three b's uh which is brilliance is blind spots and biases i think it's important to just recognize that all practices have uh these three things so you know osteop osteopathy medicine traditional chinese medicine ayurvedic massage therapy they all have brilliances and things that they do well, but they all have blind spots and biases in the way that they look at things. So I think that's sort of one thing to recognize. Osteopathy doesn't have all the answers, but it does serve a purpose in this sort of grand scheme. Um, yeah, so I, a lot more to say there, but, uh, you know, and there's, I have, there's a book that if you want to learn more on sort of the history of osteopathy and how it came to be, it was actually a medical doctor who became an engineer and sort of just transformed his viewpoint of the body. His name is A.T. Still. There's a book called From Dry Bone to Living Man, which is a great read, uh, quite dry at the beginning, but it gets uh, really interesting if you're into, you know, the history of medicine and, and osteopathy. Um, cool. I mean, just even from what you were talking about, when you were talking about the adaptation, compensation, and then decompensation, I was thinking immediately about how, kind of in this time of human existence, we spend so much time sitting and our bodies have adapted for the most part to sitting and being more sedentary. But at a certain point that all compounds and then you pull out your back or you have some kind of injury, which causes you to seek assistance from someone. But it's like the issue was always already there, which is likely you sitting in this case that I'm using. So exactly. I think- all of these things that add up over time. Exactly. Totally. I also think that it's kind of ironic that this person's name is AT still because so much of osteopathy is about, you know, finding movement in the body. And, and I don't know, I just thought that was funny thinking, especially about how sedentary we all are. You know, but, I, I've never even thought of his name in that way and in, in <laughs> the motion, but also there's a big 
thing in osteopathy about still points and still mm -hmm. versus motion. So th there's, I've never even thought of that, but that's a beautiful connection. Cool. I love that. Awesome. Okay. Well, I think that does a really good job of framing what osteopathy is for people. Um, one last thing that I want to touch on before we move on, and I know this might be opening a bit of a Pandora's box, but I think a lot of people, when they think of body work, they immediately think of massage therapy. And I know that's something that you also do as well, but how would you describe the main differences between something like massage therapy and osteopathy, just so people have something to kind of compare or refer to? Totally. Really good question. And yeah, I, I mean, I could take this in a, in a few different ways in terms of like, you know, theory or, or practical, you know, a practical sort of aspects. Um, and, and, you know, I do, even though I am a massage therapist and a, an osteopath, I sort of have an osteopathic bias. Um, and what I mean by that is I just think it has a more comprehensive, holistic viewpoint in the sense that it sort of aims to get to the root causes, uh, cause or causes uh, of issues rather than just treat symptoms. Whereas I think massage therapy leans traditionally more towards sort of a symptom-based treatment you know mm. if a muscle's tight you're you know asked to go to that muscle and you know that's sort of what a patient is expecting whereas osteopathy is like yeah yeah okay that muscle's tight but we're going to look at why that muscle might be tight and what could be happening in the body to be contributing to that muscle being tight so totally. it's a more sort of yeah comprehensive take and then in a more practical sense um you know it's a so a lot of a lot of massage uh, clients will ask for deep pressure. You know, a lot of people like a, a good deep massage. Um, and so I always use this analogy. There's a, there's you know mechanoreceptors in your hands. If you imagine putting your hand on a surface and pressing down really hard, uh, all of those mechanoreceptors are going to be stimulated. So your brain's going to get a bunch of stimulus in that hand, saying it's pressing really hard onto the surface. If you just rest your hand on a surface you know, some of those receptors are being, st are stimulating the brain, but more of them are not being stimulated so that you can actually feel more of what's happening underneath your hand. Mm. So in a very simplistic way, sort of using a different style of touch allows you to sort of feel different things in the body, uh, cool. rhythms and fluidic movement and, and other sort of expressions of health in the body. And so, yeah, it's, it's a different touch. So there's, you know, a lot of it done is done with light clothing on rather than, uh, you know, stripping all the way down and things like that. Awesome. Okay. I think that'll be really helpful for people because I've definitely been in discussion with people who have had their first treatment, osteo treatment, and they're like, oh my gosh, this person was working on my head and my neck for an issue that I'm having in my low back or my pelvis. And I think in RMT, like you said, we're used to people going right to the source of where, where we're experiencing pain. But in osteopathy, there's this idea of essentially where you're experiencing sensation may not be where the imbalance is coming from. And I feel like that's good for people to know going into it. Totally. Totally. That's That's huge. I wish more people could sort of fathom that. But even when I'm feeling a negative sensation in the body, I'm like, you know, touching it and feeling it. And like, I, I know the feeling of wanting Totally. That specific thing to stop and just wanting attention there. But yeah, yeah. We sort of look bigger picture sometimes. Awesome. I love that. Okay. Let's talk about who can benefit from an osteopathic treatment. 
Yeah, so this is another great question. Uh, my cop-out answer to this is everyone. Uh, <laughs> and the reasoning for that is that we all sort of go through that state, that sort of those stages of health, um, you know, at different paces based on environmental factors. And obviously we have different, you know, individual genetic, uh, you know, variances and that sort of thing. But we all sort of go through this stage of living life and having traumas and, and you know, stresses happen to our body and, and um, psyche. Um, and that sort of changes what happens in our body. And so whenever something is going wrong in the body, generally, you know, theoretically, treating it osteopathically is going to try to identify what's happening and, and, you know, serve to um, address the restrictions in the body that are going to, you know, address those symptoms in the long run. So I know it's a, it's a cop out answer, but really when anything is going wrong in the body, you know, some things obviously are going to be easily, like more easily treated osteopathically than others, or, you know, more people will gravitate towards osteopathy for some things uh, versus others. But yeah, I'm biasly saying everyone. Cool. Yeah. I love that. I agree. Having, you know, benefited from osteopathy in the past. So something that I think would be good to clarify for the absolute newbie out there, and I know there's probably lots of them listening, but what kinds of issues, for example, would someone come to see you for? Like, would they come to you for things like headaches or would it be like a specific pain in the body Right. Where do you draw the line of what you can work with and what you kind of don't explore? Yeah, so really good question. So I guess, yeah, it's all of those. Th- it's all of the things that you would see listed on a chiropractic office, you know, like plantar fasciitis yeah. from the foot to the head. So plantar fasciitis, ankle sprains, ankle rehab, knee pain, hip pain, low back pain, you know, all the musculoskeletal pain, mm-hmm. uh, including headaches. Um, but then you get into, um, and th- and those are, you know, most of the things that people will come in to, to complain about. Um, but then you get into, a, you know, a detailed health history of the person's, you know, story, painting a picture of their sort of, you know, um, their health history, essentially. And you start to see, oh, there's GI problems and, oh, there's been kidney stones in the past or, oh, there, you know, there's these other things that have happened or these, there's other surgeries that, you know, that sort of that add into this picture. And so, Little does the person maybe know that some of those things are related to their back pain or headaches, right? So, so I would say it's different. What, like what we're treating is the physiology as a whole. You know, we're, we're optimizing the physiology and what we're hoping to affect is all of these things that people may be sort of complaining about. Um, and I will, and I will just say on that note, I think it's a good time to say, at least this is, you know, the way it is in my practice. Um, my goal as an osteopath is to not be regularly treating people. Hmm. So it's to get the body back into the state of, you know, adaption or compensation where you or give you the tools to sort of maintain that rather than, you know, needing to see me every week or month for you to be healthy. So, totally. You know, that's just another sort of beauty about osteopathy is it's trying to move the body to a more autonomous sort of self, you know, regulatory state rather than relying on an external treatment. For sure. I love that too, because I do feel like something like massage therapy or chiropractic, like the effects only last so long. And 
after, you know, a few days after your massage, you are kind of back and tense in all the same places that you usually are, right? Because it's just, it's treating it so it's treating the issue on such a surface level that it's not actually getting to the root cause of what's happening in the body. Mm-hmm. I think at this point too, I would love for you to talk about like the different populations that you work with, because of course, you know, you and I are in our thirties and, and that's a population that you work with, but I know there's also some other specialties that might be of interest to people as well. Yes, totally. Thanks for uh, bringing that up. It's a great question. So yeah, I really, you know, it, osteopathy sort of applies to all stages of life. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, elderly people can, uh, you know, get relief uh, from, you know, or get help with their body and, and aches and pains that they're having, you know, middle-aged people, teenagers, and all the way to sort of, you know, children, toddlers, and infants and babies. Uh, that probably brings a whole nother Pandora's box of questions, um, which, you know, I would be happy to uh, get into, uh, but I work uh, with two of my mentors um, and, you know, uh, former teachers at a clinic in Toronto called Footprints Therapy. Um, and Tima Stein and Samara Stein uh, are the two that I just mentioned. And they have developed uh, an amazing clinic with an amazing referral network um, that sort of works with, in conjunction with pediatric dentists, pediatricians, speech language pathologists, occupational therapists, and pediatric physiotherapists, as well as obviously osteopaths, um, to treat a variety of issues. But really sort of one of the things that I want to highlight is the uh, emerging, I guess, um, need for uh, tongue tie related treatment. Um, and so, mm-hmm. um, again, this sort of deserves its own, its own podcast and there are podcasts related to this out there. So if you're interested, you know, um, there are some resources out there, but basically the tongue tie is a, you know, tie under the tongue and one in a re- it's debatable, but around one in t- 10 babies, you know, have this sort of extra tension or extra tissue that sort of restricts the tongue's ability to fully move. Uh, the tongue is a central structure. And so not only does that obviously affect feeding um, and nursing and then essential or potentially uh, speech and breathing later in life, um, but it also sort of can create a lot of fascial tensions uh, in terms of anatomical relationships in the body. So mm. Um, there's, you know, an entire sort of, uh, field, I guess, of lactation consultants and pediatric dentists who work with mothers and newborns who, uh, release that tissue under the tongue, which is a tongue tie release. Um, and then there can be associated body tensions that I, you know, that osteopaths, uh, who work with babies can work with, um, to help re- regulate that whole system and sort of uh, allow the body to integrate that new tongue motion and really, um, yeah, help help with some of the issues related to the the tongue restriction. That's awesome. I feel like this. I've definitely been hearing a lot more about tongue tie, kind of in the the uh, collective, so to speak, lately, even amongst friends and this is something that we're becoming more aware of in the ways that it impacts us all the way throughout our lives. So that might have to be a topic that we dive into deeper at a later time. So totally like it literally, I really think it deserves its own, uh, its own thing because it, it, it relates to torticollis and sleep issues and gas and, and, you know, colic or if whatever you want to call sort of, you know, distended sort of uncomfortable babies and, and then just 
which is a whole nother thing. So yeah, cool. very, very exciting topic. Awesome. I love that. Well, speaking about kind of what's happening, you know, to our bodies and how osteopathy can, you know, support the symptoms or what we're experiencing. Can you talk a bit about what act, what osteopathy actually does? So on a physiological level, maybe mental level, like what kind of benefits can people expect to receive from a treatment or a series of treatments? Yeah, totally. So I th- I've sort of alluded to this, I guess, you know, earlier, and it's really, you know, the, the um, movement of the body back into that stage of being able to sort of lean on itself and express its own health that we were all sort of designed to. Um, and so I guess that, yeah, one of the things that I explain to patients a lot um, is that common does not equal normal, right? Mm-hmm. So a couple of examples of this are like headaches or, you know, in really sort of intense, intense abdominal menstrual cramps, um, you know, for people with uteruses. So headaches, you know, and and those intense abdominal cramps, if I ask someone, oh, do you experience either of those? They say, oh, yeah, the normal amount or the normal amount of headaches. And yes, I get, you know, those, those cramps. And it's like, okay, that, that's normal to them, right? Because they know a bunch of people that have headaches once a week or they, and they know people that have cramps. But there's a lot of people that have no headaches and have no intense abdominal cramps. So Mm -hmm. physiologically, um, you know, there there's a possibility, there's a potential for those things to not happen, which from an osteopathic perspective really sort of says those are symptoms. Right. And so some people, because of how common some symptoms are, just think, well, that's normal. But, you know, I guess the the um, osteopathic investigation or the osteopathic assessment uh, of sort of one's body and one's story will aim to identify, you know, what those um, common, you know, co- yeah, common symptoms are that maybe the person doesn't even recognize are, are common. For instance, mouth breathing, you know, like I, I'm, I've grew up a mouth breather. And when I have this sort of <laughs> enlightenment of, of breath, of learning about breathing and how important nose breathing was, you know, I realized I've been experiencing mouth breathing as a symptom my entire life. So right, it sort of, it highlights these types of things. I think that's so important. And I love what you were saying too, about like the possibility and the potential. And it makes me think of this quote that I can't remember where it comes from. And I'm probably going to butcher it a little bit, but the gist of it is you can't measure your wellness based on how well you are adapted to what is a very sick society. You know, most people currently are living their lives either in pain or needing support from pharmaceuticals, which are totally appropriate in certain circumstances. But just as a society, so many of us are sick and in pain and it's just become normal and common and we accept this as just being okay. And I think, you know, in, in all of the work that I do, I like to try to inspire people that another way is possible and your current circumstances don't need to dictate the rest of your life. Like, I think it's so important to remember that healing is possible, right? Like physical healing is possible. Mental healing is possible. Spiritual healing is possible. And, the more that you can surround yourself by people who also have those beliefs and have the tools to help you heal is only going to drastically improve your chances of this healing actually happening. So 
Yeah, there's so many layers to it, for sure. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And that was beautifully put. Um, and it made me think of sort of two two things that I just want to sort of plug in here. You know, in terms back to that sort of stage of health, it's our body's always adapting. It, we're always listening, right? And so if the stimuli that it's getting has led us to this point, you know, if we sort of have the tools to look at that and sort of stimulate it in another way, it can, it totally has the capacity to sort of move in another direction because mm-hmm. that's constantly what it's doing. It's constantly yeah. adapting. And so this, it just drives me crazy when, you know, I total respect for medicine, but when a medical doctor tells a patient, you know, so-and-so this and this, this thing is permanent. I'm like, Oh my God. You know, it just, it drives <laughs> me up the wall because I truly believe like there are very few things in the body that are permanent, you know, like, yeah. because it's just too, it's just too plastic and too smart. Cool. Um, and yeah. So, yeah, that's just one thing. And then the other thing is that I, just want to say, I don't really, I find the notion of healers, um, like, I, you know, I don't consider myself a healer and I don't consider other osteopaths healers. And I don't truly think there are healers. Um, I, well, unless, yeah, I mean, I don't think, I don't think there are healers. What we do or what is done is the body heals itself, right? And there are ways to unlock that. And so mm-hmm. osteopathy is one way, you know, giving someone a new liver is another way, but you know, then the body is doing this incredible thing and taking over and becoming, you know, this amazing thing. So I, yeah, I think, I think there's a, we just got to be careful about the word healing. You didn't mention it, but no, I love that. And I think it's so true. It's like, there's definitely a bit of ego that can come into it. Even as a yoga teacher, it's like, sometimes we can assume the responsibility that really is what other, the work that other people are doing, right? It's like, as, as a yoga teacher, as an osteopath or whatever it is that you identify as that may fall under the healing profession, I'm doing air quotes here. All we're doing is creating the conditions or the environment in which healing may occur, but that so much of the onus is on the individual to step into that environment, to be open and receptive to what's happening in the moment. And then to also perhaps integrate some takeaways, right. That, that I'm sure you offer, I know you offer in your treatments um, so that they can continue to create the conditions for healing to happen on their own, because going to an osteopath, an osteopathic treatment is great. And is one thing, but to integrate the takeaways with you every single day after the treatment is an entirely different thing. And the same is true for yoga. Going to a yoga class once a week is great, but what's better is honestly doing a few of those postures every single day rather than just an hour class once a week. Um, So I think that distinction between, yeah, what a healer is, is, is important. And just remembering that we are all our own healers and yes, you can hold the space and create the container for healing to happen, but you don't make the healing happen. The body and the spirit in some circumstances does that. Exactly. And the power of nature and and we can get, yeah, exactly. Totally. Totally. So kind of riffing off that, then I think this is a good time to talk about what are some things that people can do that will immediately improve their health? Because of course, you know, whenever we're talking about receiving treatment from others and even the work that I do, there is a certain amount of privilege that comes into play with that, whether that's access to finances or insurance to cover your treatments, whatever it may be. So 
let's empower some people with things that they can immediately do from an osteopathic perspective that will improve their overall well-being. Totally. I love this question. Um, yeah. So if I could, uh, I guess just, yeah, if everyone was listening and wanted to better their health, I would say pay more attention to your breath. Um, and that go, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, sitting down and doing five, 10 minutes of breath work, even though that I also highly recommend that. I mean, just like at any point in your day, whether you're driving or cooking or eating or, you know, uh, waiting in a waiting room or getting treated, I want you, or just try to think about the breath. Um, and what that's, and then hopefully what that will do is sort of slow your breathing down. Um, and sort of, you know, everyone knows about taking a deep breath, um, and, and the benefits of doing that. Uh, but the problem that I see, you know, day in and day out in my clinic is when people take a deep breath, they take a big breath. And mm -hmm. that's actually the, the opposite of what we want with a deep breath. Um, and so a big breath is loud and big and chesty and quick um a deep breath is you know slow and long and nasal and down into the belly and ideally with no shoulder raising so i like to think of it as vertical breathing is you know uh is like chest breathing and horizontal breathing is another word for belly breathing because it and it's better because it encapsulates the lateral movement of the lungs and the lateral and the sort of back expansion as well. So it's sort of like a 360 degree horizontal expansion. So I would say sort of trying to play around with that. There's a mirror, mirror exercise where you can just sort of look in the mirror, inhale, shrug your shoulders up, exhale, sort of let them fall fu fully. And then try to look in the mirror and take a slow inhale with no shoulder movement at all. Um, and you'd be surprised, you'd be surprised at how difficult that can be at the start. But, you know, with practice, you'll sort of start to feel that abdominal expansion. Um, and then, yeah, I guess just a fun fact of that is A.T. Still, who we referenced before, the founder of osteopathy, he was once asked, if you could only treat one thing on every patient that ever came to see you, what, what would you treat? And he said the diaphragm. Um, because of how important breathing is to everything in the body. So it's not just about, um, you know, the mechanical things that are attached to the diaphragm, like everything below it, the liver, the stomach, and all of digestion and the lungs and the heart above it, but um, all of the pressure regulation it does and the fluid movement. And, you know, it's just, a, it's a massive player in, in the body. Um, so deep breathing and focusing on its movement is really, really helpful. And then I guess the other two things would just be go and see a uh, osteopath um, <laughs> uh, and get assessed and treated um, and take your shoe, be barefoot more, a plug for being barefoot and not wearing conventional shoes, which is another entire podcast. But you can look out for my upcoming webinar on that. I love that. I love that. Okay. I think what you were saying about breathing, I really just want to emphasize in a treatment that I recently had, I've been having really tight um, scalene muscles, which are the muscles that run up and down the side of your neck for those who don't know, which has been causing a bit of almost like a twitch in my neck lately. And something that was really interesting that the practitioner said was to check in around my breathing, because if I'm only breathing in my chest everything in my chest region is going to tighten up and to really ensure that I'm breathing down into my belly so that things aren't getting stuck. And I do sit and work a lot. So immediately standing frees up your diaphragm to move more freely. So integrating more standing, if you're someone like me who also sits and works a lot throughout their day. Um, but yeah, I just need to emphasize the importance of 
horizontal breathing, like you were saying, um, really getting down into the belly, breathing left and right, front to back. I like to think of this as like dimensional breathing for sure. So I think that's just amazing. Um, And the easiest trick I think to just remember, like a lot of people know about belly breathing, but like have trouble sort of getting it. I think it's easiest to think about not vertically breathing. So like do do that negative. So like just get the shoulders totally out of it and then breathe. Yeah, I did that as you were as you were cueing it and I could totally feel it. You just breathe right down into your belly, which is where you want to be breathing anyways. Um, and then the barefoot stuff. Yeah, we'll definitely touch on that another time. And like you said, you have a workshop coming out about the feet and about being barefoot, the importance of that. And yeah, I'm just thinking about how here in Canada, it's cold. You can still obviously be barefoot inside, but do you have any tips or tricks for being barefoot in the winter? Like, what do you do? Yeah, well, so there there are actually like a lot of uh, brands now that uh, are com- like have great waterproof, warm winter barefoot slash minimalist shoe options. Oh, good. Which some of your listeners are saying, what? And that just is a, you know, a niche type of shoe that basically... Uh, doesn't give any arch support and is shaped like the foot. So conventional oh. shoes generally, yeah, we won't get into it. We will. Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole can of worms. Yeah. Okay. Keep an eye out for that though. More to come. Yeah. Well, I, I, can, wanna... I can give you um, a website called Anya's Reviews. If anyone's interested, you, you can send them there and there she has everything you need to know. Perfect. I'll get that website from you and we'll put it in the show notes so people can take a look if they're interested. Perfect. Okay. I want to talk about what to look for when it comes to finding a practitioner, because this is definitely something I've struggled with the last few years, moving around, trying to find somebody who I connect with. Um, I connect with the way that they treat me. Um, someone who also has the ability to take on new clients, because a lot of times I find osteopaths, yeah, they can have very full client loads, which is awesome for them, sometimes challenging for the client who wants to get in. So any any tips, tricks for finding a practitioner that you connect with? Yeah, so I love sort of the way you frame that because that's part of how I sort of get into that with people. So there's a couple of things to touch on here. Um, so for, yeah, really quickly, osteopathy is actually an unregulated health profession in Ontario. Uh, in Canada, um, not not the case in basically everywhere else in the world, um, but we're sort of working towards that. And the reason why that's relevant is because there is two um, sort of pseudo uh, regulatory bodies that exist. Um, it, the reason why there's two is because there's two sort of larger osteopathic schools in Ontario. They have both created os- associations who sort of act as you know, regulatory bodies. Um, and so osteopaths that have graduated from either of those two schools or have immigrated here from, you know, Europe or elsewhere in um, the world that has regulated osteopaths will belong to one of those two organ- associations. Cool. So just bear with me here. And the insurance companies will often cover um or insurance companies do cover uh, treatments from people that belong to those two associations. However, there are other schools in Ontario um, that are basically, you know, um, I I can't keep up with how many there are. There's different, there's new ones happening all the time and um, whatever. And so a lot of them, a lot of graduates from them 
from those schools don't qualify for that insurance coverage. Um, and so not to say that they are bad practitioners or anything like that, it's just this is where it brings into the fact that there's so much sort of, um, how do I put this, variety, I guess, within osteopathy. And so what I mean by that is there's sort of a classic, a classical uh, stream of osteopathy that really looks at sort of more traditional ways of thinking. And then there's sort of streams of thinking that bring in more anatomical sort of advancements in thinking and knowledge. Um, and some people practice differently. Um, and so that does lead into the difficulty that we're having in terms of regulation um, and the standardization of practice. I think it also adds to the beauty of the practice and, mm -hmm. and like the individualization of, you know, not only the individualization of the patient's needs, but of what the practitioner is giving. But at the same time, that does make it really frustrating for people who are trying to find a practitioner, right? So I totally recognize all of that. Um, and so what I guess I recognize to, or what I recommend to friends and family is to use the association that is associated with the school that I went to, uh, which is the Canadian College of Osteopathy and the Ontario Association of Osteopaths or of Osteopathic Manual Practitioners, the OAO. So I recommend the using the OAO um, find a practitioner uh, link um, and they will get you can put your postal code in and they, they give you a link. Uh, or just asking friends and family word of mouth for a, you know a reputable someone that you've uh, that they've seen, um, but it really as you alluded to Sophie, um, you know even if someone is, is went to the right school or you know has all the right background, you need to have the right rapport and they need to treat in a way that your body responds to. So that can okay. take some you know process of elimination and some time and some money and some resources and you know unfortunately that is. That is the case, but I would argue that is the case with a lot of different, uh, you know, practices in terms of dentists and maybe not, maybe dentists is, is the right example there, but no, I think so with dentists. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and so, yeah, it's just like, there's more, I guess there's more standardization in dentistry, yeah. but, uh, but you still need to have trust and rapport and, and, and that sort of thing. So, um, I will say it's, it's not an easy process, but, uh, I, I would say it's worth it. Awesome. Um, yeah, that's so valuable to highlight because a lot of people who are going to be listening to this are coming from the yoga world. The yoga world is also an unregulated profession. We have the Yoga Alliance, which is essentially the closest thing that we have to a regulating body, but the Yoga Alliance is is for profit. It's a for profit organization. And so that certainly raises some questions about the quality of work that they're doing and, and the things that they're looking at. I have a bit of a bone to pick with the Yoga Alliance. I actually want to do an episode more about that. But these kinds of regulating bodies can be helpful in at least pointing you in the right direction. And then once you've been pointed in the right direction, you'll still need to kind of shop around a little bit to find someone who's a good fit. Um, yeah, because I think it's it's so much about feeling safe with the practitioner too. When I was living in Ottawa, I was working with a really amazing osteopath who went on maternity leave. I was super gutted um, because I really enjoyed my treatments with her. And then I met with someone else and ultimately I just didn't feel like my body could 
relax um, because there was some part of me that didn't either trust the individual, didn't feel safe with the individual. And it was nothing that that person did. It was just the feeling that I got when I was in their presence. So that's also not to be, you know, underestimated because if you're not able to really surrender to the experience and feel safe in the presence of a practitioner, your body's not going to be receptive to, to the work that they're doing. Oh, a hundred percent. And that like, you know, a majority, I guess, whether directly or indirectly of osteopathic, osteopathic treatment is nervous system work. Um, and so, yeah, you got, you have to be in a safe place and sort of comfortable and, and, or at least willing, willing to go there for sure. The other thing I'll say is I'm a big fan of just like looking at people's websites and, and mm-hmm. reading and sort of, you know, checking out their sort of digital footprint to, to get a feel that way before you have to spend any time or money. Totally. Awesome. Okay. To begin to wrap things up, because this podcast is all about living in alignment and, you know, osteopathy really is about bringing people into greater alignment in their physical bodies um, and then thus more alignment in, in their mental, spiritual selves. I'm curious about what alignment means to you on a more personal level. Totally. I, yeah, I love this question. Um, I guess, yeah, when I hear alignment, I sort of, my mind goes into two directions. One is more literal and physical and sort of biomechanical and and osteopathic in the sense that I'm thinking about, you know, the midline of the body and symmetry and alignment of, you know, structures and sort of, um, you know, that whole, a whole gist. Um, And then I'm, and then I sort of uh, think about, uh, the relationship between, you know, one's thoughts and beliefs and how they're aligned with one's actions and uh, their decision making and, you know, what they do in their day to day. So, um, yeah, I think alignment can be applied in a couple of different ways. I love that. And I've, I've loved talking to you today, too, because I do think that you approach alignment and you you approach a lot of your life because I know you personally from this more like scientific perspective, which I think is really valuable for myself in particular, because I can definitely lean more spiritual, philosophical, and I have so much to learn from the more anatomical side of things. And I think a lot of yoga teachers out there or people who might be listening to this really can benefit from that both and approach, right? It's never just the body. It's the body, the mind, and the spirit and nature and how we all work in conjunction with one another and finding alignment as a whole and not just as like a single entity as me, Sophie, right? It's like, how do I fit into the bigger picture of existence here? Yeah, I absolutely love it. Like interconnectedness. It's Exactly, exactly. Okay, last question for you is what does it mean to you to live an aligned life? Um, I guess just like feeding back into the last my last part of that last question is just like trying to yeah, trying to f- um live in a way that I guess <laughs> aligns with my values and with sort of what I you know, how I want to see the world and what I want to see in the world and sort of um, staying true to that, despite uh, many of those things really running in the face of, uh, you know, a lot of the, I don't know, mainstream, I guess. For sure. For sure. I agree. It's like, at least when you feel resistance, you know, you gotta, you gotta stick to it. Yes. Yeah. Being true to you, no matter what other people have to say about it or, or what their experience or truth is. Exactly. Exactly. 
Okay. Well, thank you so much. I feel like I learned so much about osteopathy and I think this episode will be really beneficial to people who are curious about osteopathy, how it might benefit them, what they can expect to get out of an osteopathic treatment. Um, Before we sign off, I would love for you to tell people where they can find you. So first let's start with where can people book a treatment with you? Yeah, that's great. Um, I'm at Footprints Therapy, which is in North York in Toronto, Leslie and York Mills. And uh, you just sort of, you know, Google them and call in for that. And then I'm at Connecticut Health Group on the Danforth. Um, There's some online booking system there. Um, Yeah, those are my two clinics. Okay. And I know that you are doing some online consultations. Can you just speak to that and what support you're able to offer to people online? Yeah, well, I haven't actually quite uh, sort of dialed this in uh, fully yet. I am sort of uh, working on this workshop, uh, you know, surrounding the feet and foot health and footwear. Um, And so, yeah, I'm happy. I have done a couple virtual sessions in in the past. And so, you know, if you have questions that you want answered and you'd like a virtual consult, you can always reach out to me by email. And that's found on my website at just www.bensluzar.com. Uh, so I'm sure Sophie will link that for you. Awesome. Cool. And same with your Instagram, Ben Sluzar Osteopathy, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Wicked. Well, thank you so much, Ben. I appreciate you being here. I know that everybody else will really appreciate all this information and take a look in the show notes for any of the links or resources that we mentioned and don't hesitate to reach out because Ben is a wealth of knowledge and I know that he will love to connect with you and answer any questions that you might have. Thank you so much, Sophie. This is so great. So awesome. Thank you for being my first guest. So happy. Awesome.